Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the recent release of the birth certificate of Hillary Clinton, uh, which is finally, after many long years, revealed her true birth time. So joining me today are astrologers Patrick Watson and Nick Dagan-Best. Welcome, both of you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for joining me today. I think this is, for some reason, even though the three of us are, are close and old longtime friends, the first time we've, the three of us have been on an episode together at the same time in quite a while, right? Yeah, we, Patrick and I were just saying, we're not sure we've ever been on an episode together. Like, if we have, it's a long, long time. Definitely not mm. a video episode. Right, yeah, maybe before maybe, the video era. Yeah, 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 maybe, but I don't remember us actually doing it. I know yeah, it's a nice one. reunion. There's one that was like the hundredth episode, I think, that all of us were on. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, all right. So this is a long-standing topic and a recurring topic, both on the astrology podcast as well as some of my like oldest blog posts were about this topic. Um, because to set the background for anybody that's not familiar with it, um, there's been for since the early to mid 1990s. There's been um, this mystery surrounding Hillary Clinton's birth time because her birth certificate wasn't available, and there were several different competing birth times that each had different potentially um, persuasive-looking sources for them floating around. So for much of the uh, 1990s and 2000s, and especially 2010s, um, this was a matter of great interest and great um, debate within the astrological community what Hillary Clinton's birth time was, because each of the times was so wildly different that it gave an almost completely different birth chart in terms of shifting the rising sign and the ascendant and all of the house placements of the planets. And then as a result of that, um, it changed many of the statements and predictions that astrologers would make about her. Um, political aspirations, since it's been known for a number of years before she actually ran for the presidency, that it was sort of suspected that she would run. And so that was one of the reasons why it was a matter of great interest. Um, so, yeah, that's part of this setup. Um, there's been so much discussion about this. There's several different episodes in the history of the podcast that were actually entirely de uh, dedicated to this topic. So I'd recommend going back and listening to those because I went back and listened to some of them recently, and it's actually very kind of like entertaining and interesting. The different things that Patrick and I went through over the years to try to like figure out the birth time, um, and you can listen to episode ninety of the Astrology Podcast, and especially and also episode ninety one to hear in particular some of the drama that occurred in twenty sixteen, right before the presidential election, surrounding different attempts at the last minute to get her birth time and different essentially fake birth times that were put forward at that time that kind of tripped astrologers up as they were trying to make predictions for the 2016 election. And I think that's the final thing about why this is so important is because many astrologers focus on natal astrology and they base their predictions on um, the birth chart that, that is closely tied in with the birth time. And part of the premise of that is if, if you have an accurate birth time and a birth chart, then you may be able to make accurate predictions about the future. Whereas if you don't have an accurate birth time or you're working with the wrong time, the wrong chart, then your predictions potentially are going to be less accurate. So this is why it was sort of a big deal for, for everyone. Um, yeah, so I think that's part of the, the setup, right? What do you guys think? Is there anything else I'm missing for just a general audience that has no background in this topic? 
No, that'll do. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. So I remember, Nick, the first time that I looked at Hillary Clinton's chart and got interested in this issue was actually in 2006. And I remember being in Cumberland, Maryland at Project Hindsight with you when we were both living there when we looked at it for the first time and we pulled up one of the times that seemed to have some of the best documentation at the time, which was um, the 8 a.m. birth time, which had Scorpio rising. Um, and I just remember you and I looking at that chart and thinking that it looked like a potentially really eminent chart because it made um, all of the planets in her chart um, very angular, basically, and like very prominent. So this is the Scorpio rising chart, which is set for 8 a.m. just after sunrise, which has the sun and Venus and Mercury and the ascendant and south node all in Scorpio in the first whole sign house. And it had Mars and Pluto and Saturn in Leo in the 10th whole sign house. So um, part of the genesis for that is one of the very early Astro Data Bank entries said uh, Astro Data Bank is where astrologers submit birth times and compile birth data for celebrities and other case studies in order to have accurate sourced birth data. And um, one of the earliest entries said that um, Hillary, it was supposedly like from the Chicago Sun Times, and it was supposed to be based on an interview with Hillary's mother, where supposedly it said that she was born in the morning around 8 a.m. or something to that effect. Is that right, Patrick? I think that was the original misunderstanding, right, of that article. Um, we have right. the. Yeah, we have the quote from the article when someone actually, when someone actually found it. Um, if you, at first well, glance, and I don't want to say what the correction was yet. I just want to set sure. up the premise for people gotcha. that don't have the background on what the mystery was and why this is even an episode we're doing. Right. Um. So, because that was part of it, is that since the mid mid to late '90s, there's always been this entry in Ad Astro Data Bank that claimed, citing a Chicago Sun Times article, an interview with the mother, that Hillary was born quote-unquote, in time for breakfast in the morning. And then um, part of the genesis, actually going back to the very beginning, um, was Nick and I actually attended a lecture in 2007, an NCGR conference in, I think, Baltimore. Yeah. And we attended a lecture by an astrologer, Shelley Ackerman, that was on the birth data of the candidates. And she kind of just gave an overview of the different pieces of birth data and what we knew and what we didn't know the people who were going to run in 2008. And when Hillary came up, um, Shelley kind of just summarized what everyone knew from, from Astro Data Bank. But then at one point towards the end of that, there was a, a woman, an older woman who stood up like very quietly. And then she said very confidently that Hillary was born at eight o'clock in the morning and that she had Scorpio rising. So this is the, the 8 a.m. Scorpio rising chart. And I was really curious about that because everyone seemed to take her very seriously and then she sat down, but she was treated with a lot of respect, it seemed like, by the room. Um, at the end of the conference, Nick and I, we were like checking out of our hotel room and going to leave and I actually ran into that woman in the hallway and I asked her, because I was really genuinely interested in this, um, you know, why she knew that and she said something to the effect that um, Hillary was born at eight o'clock in the morning with Scorpio rising, and that she tried to say that she had access to some piece of birth data or something like that. But she said that Hillary, she told me that Hillary was giving out different times 
because she didn't want people to know that she had Scorpio rising or something like that. And that was her explanation. But she seemed to claim that she knew for sure, for some reason, that she was actually born at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and this later, it turned out that this was a actually a famous birth data collector, an older astrologer named Francis McAvoy, who had submitted a lot of birth data to Astro Data Bank and collected a lot of birth times for different people and things like that. So that set a precedent for me for about 10 years prior to the 2016 election, where I thought that I knew or had been clued in on a sort of like what later turned out to be a sort of like conspiracy theory that Hillary was actually born at eight o'clock in the morning, but that she might be giving out false times to throw people off the trail. And that was something that I really came to believe in addition to the fact that the Scorpio rising chart looked very eminent because it had so many angular planets. And what was further interesting is that in the zodiac releasing periods, it indicated that she would enter into a peak period in her career between 2010 and 2018. So that was the other draw to that birth time for me is that it held the potential that if she actually ran again, um, which she was widely anticipated to do in 2016, that she could actually win if that was the correct birth chart. Um, but then the closer and closer we got to 2016, um, we kept hoping that something would shake loose in terms of getting more validation on things. But the closer and closer we got to it, actually, the more things fell apart and the more unclear her birth time began, became basically the closer and closer we got to the election to the point where once we got to just weeks before the election, there was just huge controversies and, um, and miscommunication and, and all sorts of different things going on at that point. Yeah, and uh, not least because a, a yet another birth time was introduced into the fray, and that, you know, just before the conference, and that sort of became very dramatic as well. Right. So, so that happened. And also, I myself eventually, because one of the things, so the, the, the different birth times, there was like the 8 a.m. time, which is based on supposedly an interview with Hillary's mother. But then, um, there was also an 8 p.m. time where there had been two or three astrologers since the late 1990s, where when they had supposedly, according to the Astro Data Bank entries, when they had asked Hillary what time she was born, she said 8, 8 p.m. And I myself eventually wanted to find out in person like what she would say. So I actually went to a book signing in Colorado in like 2014 or 2015, not long before she launched her presidential run. And when I got to the end of that, I actually asked Hillary Clinton in person. I was like, I've always wanted to ask you, you know, what time you were born. And she sat back and thought about it. And she said, I think eight o'clock in the evening. And I said, 8 p.m., are you sure? And she said, you know, yeah, I, I think so. And so that left me, unfortunately, you know, before the 2016 election with this real conundrum, which is, um, there was, you know, I thought that the chart was 8 a.m. Um, Hillary herself said 8 p.m., but then there was this like conspiracy theory that this older astrologer had told me saying that Hillary might be giving out the wrong time or even the exact opposite time of what is correct. Um, and therefore, a question of whether you trust that, you trust what the person themselves says, or whether you go with something else basically became the conundrum. So 
that's kind of where we were before. Then as we got closer to the election, um, there were different reporters that started investigating this. There was a, a Wall Street Journal reporter uh, whose name I believe was Yogita Patel, who I talked with before about a year before the election, and she started doing some investigations into it because she was interested in this controversy in the astrological community and what the basis was. And she tried to find the original Chicago Sun-Times article, um, but she couldn't find it, And so, in, which was the original supposed source for the 8 a.m. time that seemed to give it some validation. But instead, what she found, all she found with the Chicago Sun-Times was an early 1993 article where Hillary's mother was interviewed. And in that article, it said that she had gone into labor like in the morning and was born 12 hours later, which seemed to then actually not validate the 8 a.m. time at all, but instead seemed to confirm the 8 p.m. time, which then would be consistent, which then would be consistent with what Hillary said herself. I think that's that's roughly right, right, Patrick? Right. <clears throat> the exact quote, you can really see why people might have gotten this confused because the first sentence, the first relevant sentence says, early on October 26, 1947, 28-year-old Dorothy Emma Howell Rodham, Hillary's mother, arrived at Edgewater Hospital, 5700 North Ashland, to deliver her first child. That's the first sentence. So, if you were to just read that, it sounds like they're saying, early on this day, the mother delivered the child. But the second sentence says, some 12 hours later, Dorothy and Hugh Ellsworth Rodham, 34, then a sales manager for the Barrett Textile Corp, welcomed Hillary Diane into the world. So, <laughs> you would, uh, I think, for whatever reason, only that first part of this, the, only that first sentence seemed to uh, be taken by astrologists to potentially support an ADM time. But yeah, when you take that second sentence into account, it, it's, it's definitive. Some 12 hours later, you know, that would have to be some time in the evening, which would corroborate what Hillary herself had said. Right. So, and that was really important because then all of a sudden it meant that part of the original evidence that we had for the 8 a.m. time suddenly vanished. And then all that was left was now the evidence was pointing more towards what Hillary herself said, which was 8 p.m. Um, but then when we cast that chart for 8 p.m. that day, it moved the ascendant to at exactly 8 p.m. It was at 2949 Gemini. So what became annoying about that was that, especially for those of us that use whole sign houses, if she was born just like a minute later, or I think a few seconds into 8 p.m. 47 it, seconds. 47 seconds. <laughs> 47, um, it, yeah. It, the ascendant would switch to cancer, and then all of the signs, all of the house placements would be different. Um, let me actually animate the chart in order to show what that looks like. So here's 29 at exactly 8 p.m., and then you move it forward a minute, and the chart switches to Cancer rising, and with whole sign houses, all the house placements shift. So this was annoying because then it meant, even with the evidence, we would have like two different potential charts to work with, and um, it could be either of those, basically, because 8, 8 p.m. is obviously like a rounded time at the top of the hour, and so it could really go either way. So, so there's two directions we can go. One explaining the other charts, and maybe we should. And then after that, we're going to explain why you actually 
liked and actually felt like you could validate the Gemini rising chart pretty early on, I think, right, Nick? Yeah, yeah. Um, by 2009, I made a, a YouTube video about how I had weighed in on the Gemini Ascendant and why I did so. Okay. So, um, and then the last thing is that there was also this other stray entry on Astra Data Bank about um, Hillary supposedly talking to, there was an astrologer who said that their chiropractor talked to Hillary and that Hillary said that she had Leo rising or something to that effect, right, Patrick? Right. Uh, the, I think it was an, the astrologer Alan Wise. They said they had a friend who um, you know, was a chiropractor for Hillary, and apparently in the session they were talking about astrology, and Hillary mentioned that she was a Leo rising, which would be, correspond with a time uh, that is um, past 10.27 p.m., basically. Uh, so that would be a time which is much later in the day. Yeah. Um, so, and I actually, Arlen was part of the organization for Pro professional astrologers, and I did a workshop and a training retreat with them. Where at one point I went out and stayed at Arlen's house um, sometime partly, part, prior to the 2016 election. And I asked her about this at one point, and she was actually very um, genuine about it that this interaction had actually taken place with her chiropractor and, and that um, she thought there was something to it that, that Lil Hillary herself may have thought she had Leo rising. For some reason and so that was you know another time that was like floating around out there was the leo rising chart so then finally um to make matters worse about a month before the election um there was supposed to be a, a big conference that was going to be hosted by the international society for astrological research in october of uh, 2016, just before the a few weeks before the presidential election, and at that conference they were going to host a presidential panel, or actually two presidential panels, where a panel of astrologers would try to make predictions about the outcome of the election based on their own approaches and techniques. And um, so, a few weeks before that that conference, at one point, Isar unexpectedly announced that one of the candidates had actually gotten somehow access to her birth certificate or her birth record and that they had um, identified the correct birth time and that it was not either the 8 a.m. or the 8 p.m. time and that they were going to unveil this, this birth record or this birth time, the true birth time, on the day of the second presidential panel at the very end of the conference. So they were using it as a like a marketing or like a promotional tool basically to promote the conference, but then it automatically created a huge firestorm of controversy because then it meant that they would be withholding the birth data, not just from the entire astrological community um, leading up to the election for the sake of marketing, but also that they would be withholding it from the panelists as well until the end of the conference who were basing their predictions on you know, having correct birth data, and uh, Nick, you and I happen to be like two of those panelists. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> indeed. Um, the good old 2016 presidential panel at ESAR. Yeah. So, okay. and the panel, yeah, the panel was a big mess, um, and and that was part of the reason. So. Um, there was an astrologer named Mark Penfield that was supposed to be on the panel that was a data collector, but he was the one who 
that supposedly claimed that he had obtained some sort of access to Hillary's birth certificate, and um, but very quickly through a series of investigations that Patrick and I detailed in episodes 90 and 91 of the Astrology Podcast and went into it more depth, we quickly realized that Mark Penfield was actually using a birth time that he got from Astrodata Bank many years earlier that came from another astrologer who claimed that he was like part of the Israeli secret service and that like he was James Bond or something and that he had found the birth time through sounds um, legit yeah sounds legit and then through further investigations we found out that that same person had continued to unknown to Mark Penfield continued to put out different versions of that birth time at least two other subsequent versions of that birth time over different years where he kept changing it by like an hour or sometimes 30 minute increments um presumably because he was re- it was rectified in the in the first place and he was continuing to adjust his rectification over the years but people like Mark Penfield who took the original claim about the original birth t- time seriously didn't realize that this guy was just rectifying it and making it all up yeah but it wasn't just that though cuz he also claimed that he had gotten it from uh the Illinois Department of Public Health by right. Um, kind of through a sort of deep throat style reporting where instead of asking <laughs> the question directly, Bernstein. yeah, yeah, sort of getting, getting the, getting the employee to just answer yes or no questions to different times, as opposed to being, well, and this is completely preposterous. And when the director of the, the department has actually reached to, to comment on this possibility, he basically said, you know, that's impossible and like no employee would do that. And there's actually, there would be like, um, that's like a felony. <laughs> that would be like a tens of thousands of dollar fine if they did that. Like that was not possible. And so when Mark Penfield was finally cornered by the Washington Post reporter, uh, I believe his name is Justin Moyer, um, he basically s- gave up his cards and said, "Well, you know, it's just part of my personality." And you know, because <laughs> you, uh, you actually during this whole thing, somebody from the Washington Post, you, you mentioned a reporter, Justin Moyer, got interested, and he actually interviewed. You and you get cited in this article titled <laughs> from October 14th titled This is Not to Be Trusted. Astrologers <laughs> are battling over Hillary Clinton's true birth time. And the person who said this is not to be trusted was actually our, our friend Patrick Watson. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Um, and this article came out on the weekend of the uh 2016 ISO conference. So uh I was not probably um Ray Merriman's or Shelley Ackman's favorite person. Um, at that event where I gave my first public speech on astrology, actually. Um, right. So you give a talk, but, um, the point is that, um, so Penfield basically to summarize it, like once pressed on it, even though initially the claim coming from ESAR and it was some kind of weird synergy between like ESAR taking what Mark was saying seriously as if he had a new time and then Mark kind of rolling with it, it seemed like, but it turned into kind of a fiasco because it was used just to try to publicize the conference. But then um, due to various reasons, it really created a much larger issue. But the point was that eventually Mark backed away from his claim and then also just like didn't show up to the ESAR conference in the end after all of that so it sort of cast a weird shadow over everything um after you know leaving 
even more controversy surrounding the birth time and like what the true birth time was and whether any of the astrologers at these panels were basing their predictions on an accurate birth chart, essentially. So that is where that all led up to. And in the end, anybody that made predictions in the 2016 election, and especially those that based on the birth charts of the candidates then, ended up having to make some sort of judgment call, basically, of what chart they would use. And different astrologers on those panels or a number of different astrologers around the internet ended up using a variety of different birth times, ultimately, for Hillary Clinton and coming to different conclusions based on that. So going back a little bit, Nick, so one of the things that ended up happening then in the end is like Patrick and I ended up, despite the evidence pointing away from the 8 a.m. time, we still ended up using the 8 a.m. time in our predictions and got it wrong, basically, because the Zodiac releasing was like way off using the 8 a.m. birth time. And one of the lingering questions after 2016 was, for me, was um, either was I using the right birth time? Was it actually 8 a.m.? But I just read it, the charts incorrectly and got it wrong um, through a bad application of technique? Or alternatively, was I using the wrong birth time to begin with? And therefore, all of the techniques that I was applying, like zodiac releasing that are very sensitive to birth time changes, were not even you know, being applied in the right way because it wasn't correct. It wasn't using correct data. Um, so Nick, you actually, going back to 2008 and 2009, had made an argument for the Gemini rising chart where you thought the, something like the 8 p.m. chart was correct. And I guess that's yeah. actually where, because we have to confirm and set up, I guess, first that the birth certificate was finally released this week. So. What was the, because um, then we can talk, Nick, about why yeah. you had actually confirmed that one. So, Patrick, this was largely, this is something you'd been working on for many years. What was the setup for that in terms of this year and why her birth certificate might become available? Because I know it's something you'd been looking forward to for many years up to this point. Yeah. So, most of the time, uh, when a state does not provide birth certificates there's usually not any way to get it legally um there is a strange quirk though and it may exist in other states but illinois is the only one that i know of where it is possible for the public to access a birth certificate as long as the person who it belongs to is over 75 years old um so on october 26 2022 that was the year that uh, that was when Hillary turned 75 years old. And so, legally, her certificate was available to the public. So, I had been excited about this for a long time, and I probably talked about it more than I should have. And I have to take a little bit of responsibility for, for doing that, just because there was a bit of a rush. Uh, I guess a lot of people had the idea to get her certificate at that time as well. So, there was a bit of a question over whether or not um, the state of Illinois was actually going to grant this many requests, but it seems right. that the collector Victor E was able to send an application to the Cook County Records Office and was able to get um, the birth certificate uh, through legal means and thankfully made it available to us. Right, and submitted that to Astra Data Bank just, what, a week ago or, or something like that. Do you know what day it was? 
it was about a week ago. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah more or less. Or, or within the past week. So, um, and this is something I remember. And if you listen to our, um, I think recordings back from 2016, this is something you're, you're aware of would eventually happen and that you're looking forward to. So that's why it's a big deal now. Cause we've been waiting for, you know, six years at this point, almost seven years for the birth certificate to come out and to finally have all this settled. And then it finally has happened as of this week. And this huge thing that we've been talking about since like 2006, 2007, this huge mystery in the astrological community has finally been um, settled or revealed at least as much as it's probably going to be at this point. Mm -hmm. Although hilariously, there's still even some ambiguity (laughs) now, even once the birth certificate has been released. But let's take a look at the image. So that was submitted by Victor to Astra Data Bank. It doesn't show the entire birth certificate. It just shows a, a snippet of it. Um, but this is what it shows. So it says at the top date of birth, and then it's written out um, in the presumably like the doctor or the nurse's handwriting, October twenty sixth, um, nineteen forty seven, born alive on. Uh, six, well, what looks like a six forty-five p.m. Um, date signed October twenty-eighth, nineteen forty-seven, and then at the bottom, what does that say? Specimen May sixteenth, yes. <clears throat> forty-seven. Yeah, forty-seven. Okay. So in the middle, it has the birth time. Thankfully, thank God, it actually says something because, like, there was a scenario where, you know, on some older birth certificates, like they don't necessarily always have a birth time recorded. But it actually says, um, it seems to say 6.45 p.m., um, which, interestingly, if it's 6.45 p.m., that does put it in the evening. It sort of confirms um, the notion of the mother like going into the hospital in the morning and then Hillary being born in the evening. It's also relatively close to, although still a little annoyingly far away from the 8 p.m. time that Hillary herself gave me, the like sort of rounded time of 8 p.m. that Hillary told me as well as a few other people, but it's close enough at 6.45 that it actually produces the same rising sign as one of the 8 p.m. times, which, which is that it gives Gemini rising. So let's take a look at that chart now. All right, so this is the chart for October 26, 1947 at 6.45 p.m. in Chicago, Illinois. It gives uh, 11 degrees of Gemini rising. Um, Let's see, the midheaven degree is at 15 degrees of Aquarius. The moon is at 28 Pisces in the 10th whole sign house. Uranus is in Gemini in the first whole sign house. Um, The Scorpio stellium moves to the sixth whole sign house with the sun venus mercury in the south node there in the sixth um, she has jupiter in sagittarius in the seventh whole sign house at zero degrees just below the degree of the, the descendant at 11 sag uh, the leo stellium would move to the third house with mars pluto the ic and saturn all in leo in the third whole sign house and what else neptune in the fifth at 11 degrees of libra north node at 23 taurus and the lot of fortune at 15 degrees of Capricorn, and the lot of spirit at six degrees of Scorpio. So basically, when this was released this week, it um, seemed to confirm finally 
the Gemini rising chart as one of which was one of the possibilities. Um, and some people, uh, like our friend Nick Diggin Best, it turned out like got the rectification correct in terms of uh, when you had looked at this before, and especially through the lens of transits and recurrence transits, um, you had decided many years ago in like 2008, 2009, you released a video where you thought that the Gemini rising chart was correct, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly really just the Mars synodic cycle. That was, that was enough to at least feel confident about where, where in the Zodiac I should be looking, which landed me at, at the Gemini cancer, you know, mm. uh, area. And I remember being very impressed by what you found, although I, at the same time, because I was still invested in the, in the Scorpio rising chart, I reasoned that, well, if Mars rules the Ascendant, then of course a Mars retrograde would be a sure. significant failure. And I also figured since those Mars retrogrades moving from Cancer back into Gemini, that they could equally be applicable to Bill Clinton's chart, because that would be his 10th house. And one of the examples was when Bill Clinton won the presidency. And uh, when she got married to Bill Clinton, so I thought that your observations made sense. Like there, were, it was still good astrology, but I sort of interpreted it uh, in a in a yeah. slightly different way. They didn't necessarily put me on the right track with uh, Gemini rising. So yeah, sure. but uh, definitely props. <laughs> well, for the cat I, to you, sir. Yeah, no, the critique was reasonable enough, except for, except for the first one, um, because the idea. I mean, yeah, sure. Like you know, if if uh, if Scorpio's rising, then Mars transits are going to be important. Yes, um, but uh, actually, a lot of Mars retrograde transits were important in Hillary's timeline. It was just the ones that went like around Cancer and Gemini were the ones that were always a big deal. And the the, the by big deal, what I'm always looking for when I'm um, doing this kind of work, I'm looking for. Like as a musician, you would recognize like you're going for the one in a in a in a measure. You know what I mean? Like there's mm -hmm. this sort of like life has this sort of cyclical sort of pattern to it, and um, yeah, you're just you're coming back to some kind of new starting point. And whenever Mars was doing its retrograde around Cancer Gemini, which doesn't happen that often, but you know, by the time I made that video in 2009. Hillary had had four instances of that transit happen in her life, and all four of them were, uh, you know, really consequential in, mm. in her in her life story. Um, so yeah, no, there were a lot of Mars retrograde transits that were that were important, but it was the ones that that came that that were just visibly, uh, um, you know, sort of taking her back to one, if you will, getting yeah. raising her to a next level. Mm -hmm. Those were the ones that were happening in that part of the zodiac, and that was yeah. Um, let's um, let's go through those, and then also want to mention sure. it's on. It's actually been privated. You might want to make it public again. But the original video that you put out for this can it um, not be played? No, it can be. You just need the direct link. And I was just noticing yeah. as I was searching for it that I had to. Um, yeah, no, find. I've made a lot of my old videos private because I'm going to sort of upgrade them and stuff. I don't necessarily, yeah. you know. Sure. So I have the slides though from that, just so we can go sure. through some of what what you were talking about in terms of what you looked for and what we're yeah. mentioning here with the retrogrades. So here it was the first one. Yeah. I I did also send you the the slides from the press con conference, which was uh, the the you know 
um, astrology conference, which were better versions of these slides. It's the same thing, but just nicer looking. Okay. Uh, this was this was that was my game in two thousand nine. It was. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it was well, just more impressive, just because that was like so long ago in okay. two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay, put those up. We can look at them. I'm, you know, not trying to be fussy. Okay, so this is from when again? Two thousand nine. Yeah, I actually posted it on her birthday, as it turns out, in two thousand nine. So November twenty six, two thousand nine. At which point she would have been sixty two. Mm. Turning sixty two. Um, so yeah, so this is the first event. Um, the election of 1960. Mars goes. Mars is about to go retrograde in Cancer, but this, that's the thing: is that it doesn't even have to be retrograde. It's just sort of slowing down to that eventual station. Right. It's um, like in its it, shadow period at this point. It, yeah, I mean, with Mars, you're you're in sort of tricky territory using the term shadow period because that's like a quarter of all time. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's it's a. It's a Concept kind of breaks down with Mars, um, but yeah, it's it's the pre-retrograde station sort of period. Uh, so what happens is John F. Kennedy is elected U.S. president. Now, what happens is in Illinois, it's pretty well established now um, that um, in Illinois, Kennedy, Illinois and Texas were two states where uh, Kennedy apparently had uh, outside help to help him win the state in that election. Uh, basically, you know the classic sort of, you know, registering dead people to vote and things like that was going on. And Hillary was uh, 13 years old at the time, a Republican and, you know, sort of getting into politics. And she, she found herself, like on election day, she learned herself in Chicago, like how the election was being stolen. And it was sort of like, um, yeah, a political wake-up call. I mean, you can just imagine this 13-year-old future Secretary of State, future First Lady. Um, basically seeing corruption in the system. Because um, they were doing like vote stuffing or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and she was, she was, you know, privy to it um, somehow. Right. Like, you know, I think she, she said that in Chicago. She had like seen like weird stuff herself. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's just, it's like, um, you know, on its own, it's, it's not hugely consequential as an event, but it's sort of, you can see how uh, you know, given that this is the first transit of this kind in her lifetime, you can see how it's sort of shaping her uh, politically, philosophically, what have you. Okay. All right. So then the next event is 15 years later. Mars goes retrograde in early Cancer and goes back into Gemini. And it's just, again, as it's about to go retrograde, very close to, you know, well, it's in the first house, as we now know. But it's getting ready to go retrograde, and um, she marries Bill Clinton. So this is obviously consequential. Uh, no explanation needed. Note: uh, Neptune would have been transiting around the degree of the of the descendant of the yeah, recorded yeah. descendant at the time of marriage. Right. She <laughs> turned him down several times uh, right. before it finally happened. So her, and, and, so Nep- Neptune's at nine, nine degrees of Sag here, and the later recorded Gemini time has. Um, 11, 11 Sag on the descendant. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got it. Um, okay. So she and, got and married. He has Neptune, he has Neptune rising. Rising. So kind of, yeah. 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 So it's kind yeah. of, yeah. Venus conjunct Neptune in Libra. Yeah. 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 Um, Which all is right. the Neptune part in terms of it being on her descendant when she marries him and he's got it rising. That, that kind of thing you see a lot with astrology. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, so, um, yeah, so so Mars was just about to go retrograde in Cancer and Gemini when they got yeah, married. Exactly. Yeah. 
Got it. Okay. Okay. So and, then the and next this one is, is now- one one other point with this. So the difference between these two is fifteen years. So yeah. we're we're talking about the the planetary period of Mars and the actual synodic cycle of Mars, where Mars right. will actually repeat and go retrograde in roughly the same spot in the zodiac approximately every fifteen years, and that's a specific technique uh, with uh, that that you've actually specialized in. Yeah, it's it's a little more complicated than that. It's alternate returns of fifteen and seventeen years. So that first return from nineteen sixty to nineteen seventy five is fifteen years. But then the second return from 1975 to 1992 is 17 years. Welcome to Mars, folks. It's it's rough. asymmetrical city. Asymmetrical city. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so 17 years after marrying Bill Clinton in 1975, we have the next event, which is that he's elected mm-hmm. president. And this is the next time Mars is once again just about to go retrograde in the same spot of the zodiac. Um, going from yeah you know it's it's going just through cancer but again it's it's mars almost never goes retrograde actually in gemini it did in 1990 in in hillary's life it almost never does but it it occasionally goes retrograde from cancer to gemini or even just when it's in cancer it's in that part of the chart i've learned you know looking at this technique like that's as close as it's going to come to the ascendant on this go around if you catch my drift Mm -hmm. um and so, so that's you know that's the thing you're looking for, even if it's not going to cross the actual horizon. Right. It looks like there would have been a series of. It looks like there could potentially have been eclipses that have occurred across Gemini and Sagittarius in the lead up mm. to this and after this, which is yeah. interesting because that would obviously, you know, put the that would elevate the topic of of uh, partnership and selfhood in her life, which it did very. Um, Alarmingly so, right? Yeah. Uh, as a as yeah. a political spouse. So you're noting that the nodes are at 23 Sag is the north node, and 23 Gemini is the south node, which means that it, basically eclipses would have shifted into those signs around then. Yeah, and right. and that you know the the first two years of her term, it was just ridiculous. They were, I mean, just after her from the before she could do anything wrong. Like it's a different thing. Like you know today after she's held office and she's made some enemies but like yeah right from the get-go it was, it was amazing how um she was like a lightning rod for uh, derision well and she was because she was one of the first she was the first um first lady that held like a phd and she was given and she was also the first lady that was given an office like in the white house and she was assigned the task to start working on healthcare reform and that's what she started working on in 1992 and 93 that sort of became suddenly the focal point of, of a lot of attacks right. and crit- criticism yeah. yeah i thought i thought rosalind carter had also been in her husband's administration i um i mean it wasn't not with a job as big as you know the, the healthcare task but uh rosalind can Kennedy uh, carter was i think officially on her husband's cabinet even no, before first, the nodes shifted into Gemini and Sagittarius, um, there would have been a lunar eclipse in at the very end of Gemini in December of 1991, which was just three months after um, Bill had uh, announced his run. And then in June of 1992, there was a lunar eclipse in Sagittarius. Remember, in the lead up to the election of 1992, there was the the what what is it the the Jennifer Flowers uh, yeah. 
uh, is a scandal that erupted and, and there was that big dramatic um, uh, interview that they did on 60 Minutes where she sort of tried to defend him and so it was it wasn't just that he was running, but it was really was putting their marriage in kind of you know the, the yeah. public eye and uh, in in often in a very um you know unpleasant way. June of ninety two is also when he played saxophone on Arsenio Hall, which is obviously you know right <laughs> the moment like he won a, up there in terms of American history, like you think like the crossing yeah. of the Delaware River. Well, and that's like, actually, actually, Chris, I do think Bill Clinton playing saxophone on Arsenio is a bigger do, deal than crossing the, <laughs> uh, because, because that, that, that crossing the river was to ambush a bunch of drunk Germans on Christmas day. It's, you know, it's like, it makes a great painting and all, but it's not nearly the achievement, uh, uh, not equal. So yeah, all right. playing saxophone right. on Arsenio is definitely a bigger deal. That was not <laughs> it the just doesn't make a nicer oil painting. That's all. That was not the comeback to my joke that I was expecting, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll accept that. Um, all right. So where, where were we? Oh, yeah. We're still going through the, the retrogrades at this point. Um, Patrick, yeah, so I mean, this, you, this you've done a lot more. of work. Hold on really quickly. But Patrick, you've done a lot of work on her. So it's, that was true, though. It's like the healthcare thing. She started working yeah. on that like right away as soon as they got into office in like 1992, right? Uh, I forget if the... If, if the like how soon the announcement was i know that it was basically um 1993 yeah i think it was one of the first things they did i don't think it actually officially happened maybe until uh saturn had entered pisces in 1993 uh i can't remember but it was very shortly saturn, afterwards it was saturn, definitely didn't one of the main... Pis- saturn didn't enter pisces until february of 94 but she was definitely Look, it may not have been day one of the presidency, but right. it was quite early on. She she got that yeah. she was tasked. Saturn had briefly entered Pisces in nineteen ninety three at the close uh, in like the summer, and then it came back in early nineteen ninety four. So yeah, the first okay. dip was in late nineteen ninety three. Sorry, I didn't mean to correct the human ephemeris, but no, it's you know, okay. I know it's but it's, it's very it's, it's I'm very, I'm very the good. I'm the I'm the mini human ephemeris. That's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for there are no the mini second spot. Every you know, ephemeris is eternal. <laughs> I'm aiming for like the Time. pocket one that the you, you know. Ephemeris. Yeah, yes. you're like the you're like the leather bound you know one that you keep by your other like right. mahogany. So, well, we'll call you Tiny the... E. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take that. Okay. Um, right. So this will be important though the 1992 1993 thing because one of the things that comes up and one of the th- one of the conundrums that I was in with the Zodiac releasing periods and that Patrick and I actually talked about. On one of the episodes before the election was, you know, the choice that we had in the lead up to the 2016 election was, I thought if she had Scorpio rising and she was born at 8 a.m., then there was a good chance that she would win the presidency because in Zodiac releasing it showed her peak periods taking place in the 2010s. But in the other charts, like the 8 p.m. chart or the Gemini chart, um, it showed a, a real focal point starting around 1992 and that her peak in some ways was back during the 90s and and during different periods like that and it looked much much less likely that she would win the presidency according to zodiac releasing if the gemini rising chart was correct um and there's there was actually like a statement to that effect in i think episode 90 where i said i was like yeah for me the thing is if the 8 a.m time is correct then she has it quote unquote and then I continued and said, and, and she wins. 
if the 8 p.m. time charts are correct and most of the other ones that were proposed, including 218, it doesn't look as compelling. It looks more iffy. And we'll get into the Zodiac releasing of that here in just a minute once we finish going through this. So you had one more. One more of these. Yes. Okay. Uh, that, so that's three. This is, and then this is the fourth. Mars goes retrograde. Uh, once again, Cancer to Gemini. That, this one, unlike the others, is not pre-retrograde. It's already retrograde. Um, but this was, uh, I remember this day really, really well. Cause actually uh, like Biden was the one who looked like he might sort of take a lead. Uh, this is very early in the, you know, 2008, uh, primaries, but out of the blue, this was the day that it was like, oh, this totally unknown black man just won the Iowa caucus and he could actually, he's a real contender. He could take this. And from this day forward, like I, I can't, I can't state it enough. Like it, no one really thought Obama had a shot at the presidency until this day. What are we looking this, at for the audio listeners? This is uh, January third, two thousand eight. Uh, yeah, Mars retrograde in Gemini, and it was the uh, the Iowa caucus, and and Obama won, which was suddenly kind of a heads up. Like everyone's kind of presumed it would be Hillary or maybe Biden. Uh, in 2008. And then out of the blue, um, Obama sort of shot out like a rocket. So this was, this was sort of the indicator that, um, yeah, you know, it was, I mean, not unlike 2016, Hillary was just presumed to be, you know, the candidate and then in comes Obama and that all changes. So yeah, it was just, um, you know, this this was like her one really good shot. I mean, a better shot than 2016, um, and uh, she was thwarted. So, in this, this is January 3rd, 2008, um, yeah. when Obama wins the Iowa caucus, and Mars is at 28 Gemini retrograde. So it would be Mars retrograde, basically in her in her rising sign. Yeah. So, based on all of that up to this point, when you first proposed this. Did this rectification in 2009 you felt like this validated the 8 p.m time i felt it validated the 8 p.m time yeah because like i said there's uh you know there's a mars retrograde every 26 months and uh it'll do its turn around the zodiac but it just it you could see you know like she might have some big mars uh retrograde and libra transits like for instance when she started using rodham um in her full name hillary rodham clinton uh, you know, other other Mars retrogrades were were clearly important in her life, but it was obvious that this Cancer Gemini one was the one that was really sort of you know taking her life back to that starting point that I'm always looking for that that sort of not reset, but you know, like sort of beat one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Beat one of it the is, measure. That's good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into music theory for the audience, but yeah, it's, it's for, for musicians who do understand. That's kind of like the idea. So, yeah, and that, and that was part of how you approach things, because you do that with Mars retrogrades. You also do that with the Venus retrogrades. That's right, yeah. As we've talked about in previous episodes, and those, especially the recurrences of every time Venus goes retrograde, every eight-year increments, that there's a connection sometimes between those periods. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, studying these returns you know over overlaid on someone's timeline really gives you an idea of like if you don't know what time they're born um 
those those two transits in particular, because they happen often enough. It's not like waiting for Saturn every 29 years. So those transits happen often enough that you have repeated hits and you can, like I did, you know, I, by the time Hillary was middle-aged, I could even take four of the same sort of Mars synodic returns and, and demonstrate how they, you know, reflect her life at a certain, you know, turning point, an identifiable turning point, I think. Mm-hmm. Simple you know, as it's, that. It's so funny looking back on this because in my rectification article of, of uh, Hillary Clinton's, I sort of focused on the trends that occurred across Virgo and Pisces as being relevant for her career, which in the Scorpio rising chart, the midheaven was in Virgo. And so I was convinced that this was like a good argument for uh, Scorpio rising. But what I'm now sort of realizing since I was looking at the nodes and these eclipse cycles that those would have just as well have happened in a whole sign 10th and 4th. Um, if she were Gemini rising. So yeah. you, it's easy to be led astray sometimes. Um, it's really difficult to isolate sometimes the, the, uh, the patterns you think you're fine, but you definitely, you definitely uh, look to the right ones. Yeah, that's what I makes did. rectifications so hard, especially with public figures, is the potential for false positives and like thinking that you've got a correct placement for something, um, but sometimes there can be other ways that that placement works out from a different perspective. And it's especially difficult with public figures because you can't actually sit down with them and talk to them about their life and get the details of like what actually happened and like what was the most subjectively important periods or what were the most subjectively difficult periods. You have to make some of those assessments from the outside. And then if there's like in this case, like, like five or six different birth times or different charts, then you're running into an issue with the potential for many false positives. Right. What were you going to say, Nick? Oh, I forget. It's not important. Okay. Um, so you, starting in 2009, thought that she had Gemini rising. There's a little bit of an issue here, which I don't know if you thought about this. Obviously, at the time in 2009, when you're using a, like a 29-degree Gemini chart, where it's because it's 8 p.m., and you realize it could go either way with Gemini or Cancer. Some of those retrogrades were in Gemini, and, and actually, it's worth mentioning here. I think it's like really worth mentioning, even though oh, I don't know why, yeah. why this is relevant. Is is what we just had very recently? Is we're coming out of like a Mars retrograde in Gemini. <laughs> in fact, um, yeah, it happened, but, happened but a couple just, of days within a birthday, right? Right yeah, within but, the the very day that we were waiting for to send this off. Oh, it's stationed Mars ret- my stationed retrograde in Gemini within a few days of her birthday back in October. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's still well, there. It's at 23 Gemini right now. It still hasn't even left the sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was I about to say to answer your question, though? Um, like, I don't know if there's a oh, basically quadrant those, whole sign those, issue. The, those four retrogrades that I show in the article, mm-hmm. they're all retrogrades that began in Cancer. You know okay. what I mean? Like, even if they went into Gemini, they started in Cancer and went into Gemini. Because actual Mars retrograde in Gemini, like beginning and ending in Gemini, is very rare. Um, even in, in Hillary's lifetime, it's happened. It happened just now in 2022. It happened in 1990. Um, and before that, yeah, not even 1958, because it was Gemini to Taurus in 1958. So that's really it. And she's like in her 70s. And that's like the only two times that Mars has fully gone retrograde through Gemini. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, but 43 was before she was born. So yeah, those are the only two times, 1990 and 2022, the only times that Mars has fully gone retrograde from in Gemini without being in like Cancer to Gemini or something like that. Or Gemini to Taurus. So it's really rare? Yeah, it's very rare. And those four retrogrades I I cited are ones that began in Cancer and wandered back to Gemini. 
or very close to it in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me, that's like I said, even if it doesn't quite come to the rising sign, it's the, the, the pass, you know, because the, the, Mars, the Mars retrograde cycle still goes in a sort, certain sort of zodiacal order. So the, the idea that like that's the closest it comes to the ascendant, that's when you see the one. Right. So I guess that's what I was trying to understand a little bit is why then you decided Gemini was the correct rising sign instead of Cancer. Um, yeah, why did I, I say that? I, I think I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think back why I thought Gemini, not Cancer. It might have uh, just been a... What about the 1990 uh, Mars retrograde? That would have been in the year prior, like in the lead up to like yeah, deciding yeah. whether or not Bill Clinton was going to run in 1992. Yeah. I would presume that probably would have been important. It didn't reach a level of public like awareness but um i would assume that that uh period that, would have been a pretty big deal for yeah yeah i don't know for sure but that might also be like the period where you know jennifer flowers stuff is going on things like that you know um you know prior to to like the actual affairs and things like that privately mm-hmm. wait oh um oh no oh no it's just uh trying to think of what was going on in 1990 with the Clintons. I know that like the 1988 DNC was Bill Clinton making that speech that was supposed to launch him into consideration of the presidency, but then he took too long with the speech. And so people thought like he might not uh, really be able to do it. Um, I'm trying to think what else happened in 1990. I know there was like some chatter in 1989 of Hillary herself running for governor of Arkansas, but then Mm -hmm. after doing some testing or doing some polling, then she decided against it. So I can't really remember anything specific about 1990, but given that it happened in her rising sign, um, I, yeah, I, I no, don't know if there was anything it, else you remember from that. Yeah, um, not specifically, but that, that you know, now that we have the time, I want to go sure. back to my Hillary biographies and, <laughs> and you know, comb it out. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think really, you know, why did I think it was Gemini over Cancer? It, it might have just been sort of, you know, uh, completely arbitrary you know like um uh, just a, a sense like it you know is it one of is it one or the other i guess it's this one i don't remember though i i i have to think i had some kind of rationale at the time but it's 15 yeah, years I mean, ago I'm, it's 14 I'm sure you, or whatever right that's what's funny about all this is we over the past week we've had i've had to go back and listen to some of those podcast episodes from 2016 and it's just like making me remember so many details that i'd forgotten about about <laughs> The whole yeah. saga and like drama surrounding all of this for like so many years and, and different twists and turns in the story that I had forgotten about. Um, exactly. Yeah. But whatever it was, you did end up using that, you know, after rectifying it in 2008, 2009, you did end up using Gemini Rising later in 2016. So you must have felt pretty good about using that chart, especially when like other people like me and Patrick were using Scorpio Rising based on what we thought was the practical evidence as well as what we thought was the more eminent chart and the one chart that we thought where it seemed like she had a shot with it. And that actually ended up being part of like the moral of the story for me in retrospect, which is like one, follow, follow the evidence and the majority of the evidence when it comes to the documentation of birth times and what that seems to point to, which in that instance, it had always been pointing or at least towards the end of the election cycle, it started pointing to the 8 p.m. time as the one that seemed to have better documentation. 
and avoid the tendency to like one for kind of like conspiracy theories and stuff like that. It was like one of the things and one of the reasons why I oftentimes have such a negative attitude towards those because sometimes it can lead you astray and lead you to not pay attention to the evidence if you're focused on essentially like rumors or things like that or speculations that she's putting out false birth times you know deliberately or whatever else which may not ultimately if it seems like ended up being true at all that it ends up looking like that was probably not not true yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's really fair to call it a conspiracy theory. I mean, it was it, the the source at the time was Francis McAvoy, who had given, who had been able to collect uh, good amounts of data up to that point. Uh, she's the source of the time for Mitt Romney, for example, which is accurate. Well, and, no, no, because no? there was a problem with that. That was part of the thing that we started discovering about Francis too late in the lead up to 2016 that started making me question the time. Remember, with with Romney. Um, like at least one or two other astrologers had asked Romney and he said I was born around sunrise or something like that which is kind of vague but it gives you a rough um, time period of when he was born but then Francis also heard that but from Francis she submitted it as an exact birth time to Astro Data Bank um, instead of like a rounded one. Oh, I and thought I, I, the source for his time came from uh uh, a letter that his father had given to, like, as like an announcement for his employees. <laughs> oh, it wasn't Romney. Actually, I'm thinking of um, J- uh, Kerry. Remember? Oh, was- Kerry. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say it's it, it was tricky to evaluate Frances McAvoy because she had been known to give fairly reliable times that fairly straightforwardly, but then right. there were also a couple that were suspect, and so. Similar with Mark Penfield, no, no, not wait, everything wait, that he had ever done. On, before we move on from that, because that's a really important point, because that was one that you're personally involved in, which is Kerry, because you asked John Kerry for his birth time. Yeah, uh, you know, in the most normal thing that I ever did, uh, <laughs> in, in what was probably, you know, the question was, uh, you know, he thought was just, uh, you know, this normal thing he'd ever heard. Uh, like I asked him like directly. Sixteen or seventeen or something. No, I was. Mm, I was in college, so I was maybe okay. like nineteen or something. But um, yeah, he he did a, an event at my college, which is in Massachusetts, and uh, I went up to him afterwards and asked him what time he was born, and he looked at me really, really strangely, and everyone else was around me was looking really, really strangely, and he <laughs> said, uh, "It was around sunrise, I think," which you know corresponded with previous quotes and another um, times he had been asked and. Uh, but yeah, as far as Francis yeah. McAvoy is so, so, concerned, so one or one or two other people had also said mm-hmm. that they had asked him or asked other people around him, and that sunrise was correct. But then Francis submitted it to Astro Data Bank, presumably also after asking him as an exact time, which was, you know, to the minute, and it was about an hour or something on the other side of sunrise. So it was around sunrise. But what we realized she had done is she had taken. A statement that I was born around sunrise, and she'd rectified it to be an exact birth time, and then submitted it to Astro Data Bank in that way. Yeah, so it'd be approximate rather than exact. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first clue, and this we discovered this at some point in the early to mid 2010s in the lead up to the 2016 election, and I started realizing that there might be a potential problem sometimes with some of Francis's approaches even though she otherwise seemed like she had been a good data collector that sometimes she might have a tendency to adjust things a bit and but unfortunately by the time i realized that 
um, she had passed away, and I never got a chance to actually ask her again or have this conversation with her again about Hillary Clinton's birth time and like why she was so certain about that, and some of the things that she told me that I do feel like um, went a little bit further than what she probably had had evidence for in terms of saying that Hillary was deliberately giving out false birth times because somebody told her something bad about Scorpio and she didn't want people to know that she had Scorpio rising or something like that. I think ultimately that was like a speculation on her part. It wasn't sure. um, grounded in anything necessarily. It was like a, like a, a guess or something, an inference. Yeah, you know how people can just sort of stereotype all Scorpios and give them the same sort of I mean, honestly, you owe Hillary an apology. (laughs) You didn't trust her, and she said she she wasn't lying to you. Although, important to know. That was the problem, and that was really the problem, and that's something I won't ever get, not get over, but it's something (laughs) I've really dwelled on because, in the end, she was being pretty honest and giving, you know, a vague time. Like, most people don't look at their birth certificate and, like, memorize what time they were born, but she actually, evidently, in, in the end, told me roughly the correct birth time from her memory. Um, and I ended up using the exact opposite because I had been told by somebody that Hillary was doing something in order to, to hide her true birth time. And I ended up ultimately defaulting to that partially through the weight of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting confidence in that as well as through, obviously there's other complications and issues because that was also the one chart where it looked like she could actually win the presidency. And up until that point, there was a strong assumption, I think, amongst many people most in the country people. <laughs> and around most people that she was going to win the election and that it was like unlikely that Trump would become the next president. And yeah, I mean, come on, that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> well, and he didn't actually win the, you know, the, the, ma- the majority of votes. So it was really through that just, you know, kind of uh, hate mail. Interesting. We're going to get hate oh, mail. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm just saying, uh, you know, the Electoral College, the, he won. He won the Electoral College, and that was how he won, um, which was the less, that's, that's a less common scenario, aside from 2000. Um, right, so you're just saying he didn't win the popular vote? Right, right, but I'm saying he won the Electoral College, so to all hate mail senders, I'm, I'm not saying he lost, I'm saying he won the Electoral College. Patrick right. Watson, Michigan, USA. Send <laughs> <laughs> So let's look at that really quickly because I want to contrast like the Zodiac releasing periods and like what I was looking at. Um, so I'm going to show the um, Astro.com ones because I kind of like their. If you do, if you cast a chart in Astro.com and then you, under chart style, select Hellenistic, they've integrated a nice set of calculations. Um, after Lisa and I did the Zodiac releasing episode several years ago in order to fit some of the specifications that we were talking about. And it generates this chart and it gives you Zodiac releasing periods for, you can select Fortune, Spirit, or Eros, or some other sign. So here's the basic difference. So in the Scorpio rising chart, she has a lot of Fortune in Aries. So that means the four cardinal signs would be the peak periods, a lot of Spirits in Cancer. So that means we start the career periods from the sign of cancer. She starts out in a 25-year cancer period uh, in 1947. Then she goes into a long 19-year Leo period for 19 years from 1972 to 1991. Then a 20-year Virgo period from 1991 to 2010. 
And then in t- from 2010 to 2018, there was an eight-year Libra period, which is the seventh sign from fortune, and therefore that should have been a peak period according to the theory of the technique and a period of heightened importance and activity in terms of her career and overall life direction if the Scorpio rising chart was correct. So that ended up being a large part of the basis of the prediction then of thinking that she would win if the Scorpio rising chart was correct is that the technique showed um, the 2010s as being sort of the high point in her career and overall life direction. Um, But then it was going to switch into a bad period in 2018 when it goes to Scorpio, which is angular from Mars and Saturn. And so I think I had sort of assumed from that that she would get one term in office, but wouldn't be reelected. Was one of you going to say something? I was just going to say that the other reason why this looked compelling is that if you look at the level two loosings of the bond, they also corresponded with uh, fairly significant uh, times of her life that made it seem more plausible that this sequence matched her life. So, for example, if you look at the yeah, uh, Virgo level but, one period, but but we know it's not correct. We know it's not point, correct. So it's oh like, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. I was just giving that too Yeah, much. no, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I was I was just saying like this is kind of you know why we were able to be convinced by it. You've well, got to let go of it, Watson. You've oh no, just I, yeah, no, I have. You know, I right. I let go of it in 2016. <laughs> that was really when I when I let go. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, the Scorpio rising chart was the one chart that looked good for the zodiac releasing periods and just showing a peak period around the time of the 2016 election. Um, but the Gemini rising chart, when you pull that up, let me move things around here. So the Gemini rising chart has a lot of fortune and Capricorn, so the peak periods should be the four cardinal signs, a lot of spirits in Scorpio, so we start the career periods from there. Okay, spirit. So she starts out in a 15 year Scorpio period from 1947 to 1962. She goes into a 12 year Sagittarius period or a chapter of her life from 1962 until 1974. And in 1974, she reaches Capricorn, which is the sign. This is just brilliant, too. It's almost to the month of when she's on the, um, the House Watergate Committee. Yeah, and let me explain first. So. A lot of fortune is in Capricorn. So according to the theory of the technique, when her spirit periods reach this sign, the sign of a lot of fortune for 27 years, it means that her career period, she would theoretically go into a 27-year career peak, which would be a period of heightened importance and heightened activity in terms of her career and overall life direction. And that's the basic theory of the technique from 1974 all the way until 2001. Until actually January fifteenth, two thousand one, is when that twenty-seven year peak period ends, which so, is five five days before her husband's presidency ends. Well, and yeah. when she became senator herself of right, New York. Right, right. So what's important about this is, and this is what we realized, and that's why I had that previous, um, you know, quote when we were discussing this from right before the election, when we were saying contrasting like. You know, if the 8 a.m. time is correct, then then she might have it, the presidency. But if the 8 p.m. time charts are correct, um, then it doesn't look as good. It doesn't look like she's going to win the presidency. And the reason why that statement was made is because, according to the zodiac releasing technique, um, this was actually this period should have been um, one of the most active and important periods for her in terms of her career and overall life direction from 1974. 
to 2001 with a specific focal point on the loosing of the bond that takes place in level two, which is always a major career transition. And since it's also angular from fortune, it should have been a career transition upwards to the highest point in her career. And according to the technique, that would take place, that loosing of the bond, um, October of 1991 through October of 1993. And that perfectly falls in the period in which Bill Clinton was elected. Um, the Clintons, Bill and Hillary, get into the White House. And then she you know, starts really working on things like healthcare reform and other things like that. Um, yeah. The exact date of the beginning of that loosening of the bond, October 5th, 1991, I believe that is actually the very day that Bill Clinton announced his run. Uh, it was in October of 1991. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, someone can check me on that, but I think it's October 5th. Right. So, and we'll, let's talk more about the dates of that in a second, but basically, so the basic contrast then that I ran into before the election in October of 2016 was if she's Scorpio rising, there's a, she's in a, the biggest peak period of her life now, and there's a pretty good chance, therefore, that she'll get elected. But if the Gemini rising, if the 8 p.m. chart is correct, it means that she may have peaked um, earlier in her life and that her peak period in her career is actually not right now. Um, and therefore, she will probably not win the presidency. Um, so going back to that, um, Nick, you said at the very beginning of this period in June of 1994, the 27-year Capricorn period, that yeah. that was the start of what? That's, um, I think it's in January of 74 that she's appointed to the, the House uh, you know, Impeachment Committee. Uh, well, I guess it's not the Impeachment Committee, but they know it's going to be. Then in May, the Impeachment Committee starts. And there you go. She's on it. So she's one of the, she's a junior sort of lawyer advisor um, for the committee that's investigating the, the whole Watergate scandal. Mm. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, you know, like a, her first kind of political post of, of any, um, you know, uh, weight. And uh, yeah, so that's what she does. This is, and this is before she marries Bill. She's Bill's girlfriend, but she's not his husband, uh, his wife yet. Oh yeah, I was actually looking at the arrows periods, and what's funny is they line up really well with their right. Yeah. So if yeah. I click a lot of arrows right here, um, her lot of arrows in the chart, which is for this is a like a modification of the, the zodiac releasing technique that I came up with in 2005 to study uh, periods for love and relationships, and her lot of arrows is using the Paulus calculation is in Gemini, so she starts out in a 20 year Gemini period, and then Starting uh, July 13th, 1967, she moves into Cancer. And again, what we look at for identifying peak periods in the technique is when the person reaches a sign that's angular from the lot of fortune. So Cancer for her is seventh from fortune. So that means starting in July of 1967, she started a 25-year um, peak period for love and relationships. And they yeah. met, I think, in the spring of 1973, which would have been in the next. No, 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 no. They oh, were no. together in 71. Oh, pardon me. So then, okay. Then that yeah. was during Virgo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, so the, angular the, to Jupiter and then marriage by. Marriage the in I, the Capricorn period. Yeah. The one I there picked up on was the Capricorn period. It's this because it's actually the halfway point through the cycle when it came all the way around to the actual sign of the lot of fortune on the sub periods in level two. She went into a 30 month or 27 month 
peak period for love and relationships from August 30th, 1975 through November 17th, 1977. Um, And they ended up getting married during that time. Do you guys remember the exact date? I I looked it up a minute ago. October 11th? Yeah, 75. I think it's the same day that Saturday Night Live is first premiering on TV. Yeah, that's right. Um, That's how I remembered it. (laughs) Doesn't everyone? (laughs) Right. So, yeah, basically right after this 27-month peak period begins is when they get married. Um, There's, you know, what's interesting is that's a foreshadowing period, and then she would have a repetition of that period and a loosing of the bond between November of 1984 and January of 1987. And I don't want to get into what happened then or something, but there probably was some major relationship thing that took place during that time period. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but anyway, so... It was just a quick digression that with the new confirmed, like actual birth time from the birth certificate, her releasing periods are lining up well with both career periods as well as relationships. Yeah. And you can even see her kind of losing the election as well down there. Um, yeah. The so, birth. yeah. So you, you had both noted. So with the spirit period, she's in the 27 year Capricorn yeah. period from 74 to 2001. The loosing of the bond, which is like the focal point That's and right. the most important point within this entire 27-year period is from 91 to 93 when they get in the White House. And then the entire 27-year period um, closes down and is brought to completion. We have a completion period here in Capricorn from November of 99 until January of 2001. That 27-year peak period for career ends um, 15th of January 2001, which is when Bill is basically George W. Bush um, is inaugurated, inaugurated on the twentieth. Yeah, on the twentieth, and she, Patrick, she be- said yeah, she be- she became senator of New York, uh, sworn sworn in earlier that month, um, like on January first or, so, or but, yeah, yeah, first week of January. So the very end, so the the completion period of the Capricorn period was uh, being sworn in as as uh, the senator of New York. That's brilliant because the completion periods, which is when it comes back to the sign it started at. So it started at Capricorn in 1974 to 1976. And then at the loosing of the bond, it skips Capricorn in 1991 and 1992. When you get to a completion period at the end of, usually they only happen in Capricorn or Aquarius general periods, there's a sense of things coming full circle uh, and coming back to where they started and things being kind of like wrapped up nicely. well, so, she helped out Bill, and finally, at the, by the very end, she was able to, you know, be her own political figure, you know? Right. Um, yeah, exactly. That was like the start of her own political career in somewhat, in some ways, independent or separate from him. Right. Um, so then, because there's a connection between these different periods, they're not just in isolation. Like this 27 year Capricorn period, while it's a peak period in terms of career and overall life direction, it's part of. A sequence of three signs on level one that we call an angular triad, which started with Sagittarius, which is like a 12 year buildup period from 1962 to 1960, 1974. Then there's a 27 year peak period, which is like a period of heightened importance and activity where um, a lot of the most important activity takes place from 1974 to 2001. And then it meant that in 2001, she went into a 30 year Aquarius period, which is um, the third and final sign of the angular triad where the themes that were initiated during the previous two periods are carried forward and brought to completion. 
So that's the main theme of this period is carrying forward and bringing to completion. But also because it's Aquarius and it's now a fixed sign, um, it's actually much more difficult. It's kind of mixed because Aquarius is the sign that's opposite to her Mars-Saturn conjunction. Right. So you get um, some of the most subjectively difficult periods would take place in this twenty in this thirty-year Aquarius period. Um, although there would also be some of the most positive ones because it's also angular from Venus in a night chart, which is in Scorpio. So that's the. I would basic- also say that because the MC is present in Aquarius, just the angle being present in Aquarius would be another reason why um, her status didn't necessarily diminish after being a first lady. That you know she went on to be a senator and secretary of state dealing with foreign countries, right? MCs in the ninth, um, and a presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if anything, even more of a proper right. job. First lady isn't a job, you know what I mean? Like, it's a title. Right. Um, well, I mean, she made it a job, but yes, right. You're, you're right. Yeah, I, she made it a job, but but not officially. It's it's a, you know it's a title. I mean, she had right. proper send all hate mail to Nick Dagenbast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, but anyway, so it's a it's a it's carrying forward and bringing to completion for thirty years. But also, there's some of the greatest challenges and difficulties would come up during that period, as well as some very positive things. Um. So. The focal point of it would be this loosening of the bond eventually, which would be difficult ultimately. But um, is that what you were talking about, Nick? The yeah, loosening of the bond. Yeah, I mean, leading up to the loosening of the bond is when she loses the election. It's interesting. Like it's, yeah. it's sort of like it's it's yeah, it's not quite you know. It's almost like she had the loosening of the bond just a little too late. Well, it's afterwards, but it's not. It's a difficult yeah. one because it's jumping to the sign exactly. of Mars and, yeah. Mars and yeah. Saturn. And it, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can tell why the other one worked and this one didn't. Sure. Well, I would, I would also imagine that you know there was still some talk potentially of her running again in 2020, and I wonder if that losing of the bond coincided with the time when she maybe really did decide that, like, you know, never again uh, after what happened in 2016. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that does happen in a in a loosing of the bond in the third and final sign of the angular triad is oftentimes people do retire from and move away from whatever their career or vocation had been up to that point during the the previous few signs because it's the final transition at the end of you know she started in Sagittarius for twelve years, then Capricorn for twenty seven, then Aquarius for thirty. And then when you hit this loosening of the bond on level two, that's usually when you sort of end it and move away from the career that you've been doing up to that point and start getting ready to transition into something new. Okay. Notice that the, the 2008 primary would have happened during the cancer um, angle, angular level two period, and the 2016 election also took place during an angular level two period. So even within the succeeding period, you can see that the angular level two periods are kind of highlighting you know some some of her uh, most high profile activities within that succeedant level one period. Yeah, like January two thousand eight through. Because um, that, that was also when she became um, Secretary Sec- of State, right? Was after the right. two thousand eight election. Yeah, yeah, that's really important because that's like huge, and and it ended up being um, ultimately her 
one of her most major contributions politically as like an independent entity from Bill was being Secretary of State and all of the work she had done in that context for several years um, yeah. after Obama after Obama was elected. So, um, let's see. So, where to go with this and where to summarize? So, it's interesting for me just seeing those Zodiac releasing periods and now understanding in retrospect what the story was with that. And obviously wishing we had greater clarity at the time on the, the birth um, time, you know, back in 2016. But now that it's come out, it's interesting to actually be able to like look at it and start to like understand better what the actual story and what the actual narrative is, which is also interesting because now we also know what her story is, at least up till this point over the past few years. Um, and that's one of the problems you know, anytime we're doing studying celebrity charts for people that are still alive, you always have this issue where sometimes there may be indications in the chart of things that just haven't happened yet. And sometimes until a person's story is over, it's hard to fully look at it objectively because there's things that, um, parts of their story that may, just may not have happened yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, you know, I think, um, I think it was, Britney Spears, who who scared me off, you know, doing too many sort of live celebrity readings. I mean, it's different if if the person is in their seventies, then then at least you're, you know, um, summarizing some a, a great deal of of their life. Um, but but I found sort of commenting on younger living people, yeah, it's it's just it's a bit awkward because their their story isn't over, and and um, it's unnecessary commentary. Right, because also, especially when you're dealing with celebrities, you're also dealing with the public's perception of them or your perception of whatever you perceive of them from as a public figure from your vantage point and whatever biases are going into that. In this case, obviously, there's political biases going into it, but even with like other celebrities, like you mentioned Britney Spears, there's other biases going into it in terms of just the amount of data or information that you have available to you and that you make up your conclusions about their life and personality about um even though you don't actually have personal like intimate details about understanding the person's life from a first-hand yeah. standpoint yeah yeah um you know the, the kind of work i do today i go back and i read you know letters written by uh notable people you know the published books of letters of kurt vonnegut or sylvia plath or you know all kinds of different people and then I have their letters, and then I'm, you know, and that's the kind of thing that's typically only released, you know, after the person is gone. But this way, you have far more accurate uh, internal and external sort of record of what the person, what the person's life was like, you know. Yeah, right. it's, really, it's so interesting to see, you know, th thinking back on this and looking at these two, um, you know, options that we were tangling with, because one of the things that I couldn't really understand with um, the uh, one of the things that really drew me rather to the Scorpio rising child was the Mars, Saturn, Pluto thing being in the 10th place, because I know that she has had such a, she's been such a controversial figure and that I would, I sort of assumed like, oh, well, naturally the greatest difficulties of a life would be like 10th house type of things. But it's so interesting because when you look at the way that Mars, Saturn, Pluto conjunction ends up being in the third house of uh, the Gemini rising chart is, is kind of interesting because I guess if you were to ask her maybe what the most difficult part of her life would be, um, I would wonder if she would start talking about family because um, 
you know, it hasn't really been publicized all that much, but I guess like there has been a lot of like family drama with her siblings. Um and uh and and like people not being on speaking terms and like troubles with like cousins who have been uh kind of exiled from the family uh, and all of this sort of drama, which wasn't really taking place on a very public stage, but is something that would nonetheless be really true to Hillary herself. And um it's not something I think, you know, as an outside observer, it just shows the way that you your own preconceptions can color the way that you interpret certain placements, but often these placements do have like a uh, a significance, you know, that's often maybe only clearer to the person themselves rather than an outside observer. Right. That Speaking and also, I mean, even this, that it's funny that it moves the Mars, Pluto, Saturn to the IC, but then it's like opposing the midheaven still. So it's almost, sure. <laughs> it's another one of those instances where that is yeah. that issue about, um, false positives or things like that, or that sometimes a placement that you thought it was, like we thought it was that Mars, Saturn, Pluto in the 10th house, and sometimes could see the activation of that coinciding with difficult career periods, you can still kind of get some of that um, through that placement here on the IC, opposing the midheaven and sometimes activating that Well, and Saturn alignment. rules it. Saturn rules it. So then the her presence with Mars and Pluto would then color that, uh, the expression of that mm. ascendant. I mean, sorry, Midheaven ruler. So yeah, you're exactly right. Although it's funny because because of that bifurcation of the Midheaven and the tenth place, we also see that the ruler of the tenth house is Jupiter in the seventh, and it's been uh, husband Bill Clinton, right? Who has been, um, you know, in some ways a hindrance, but mostly a big help. Um, you know, to have uh, his uh, advocacy and his support and his, um, you know, charisma, I guess. Yeah, it's like Jupiter in its own domicile in the seventh house, ruling the tenth whole sign house and the moon. Um, it's interesting. It's like contrary to the sect, um, but it's the one. It's one of the few planets in her chart. Like with the whole Scorpio stellium, there's a tension there because um, Mars and Pluto and Saturn are overcoming those or squaring them through a superior square. But the Jupiter uh, is sort of somewhat unencumbered by that. Its primary issue is just that it's contrary to the sect, so some of the excesses of Jupiter potentially come out a little bit more in that instance. But it's otherwise a like, relatively well well placed planet in his, his like chart, a very horny like chart. a very horny spouse. Well, possibly. I mean, Jupiter is known for being a bit <laughs> exactly. of a yeah yeah. Bit, Bill Bill is something. Let's not get into it too much. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, Direct all hate mail to. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wanted to say about um, Hillary's Mars Saturn Pluto, ironically. That's the culprit on my end that had me blow the election uh, um, prediction because I knew whoever won, presuming it was Hillary who won, um, whoever was president would have to deal with the Saturn Pluto conjunction of early 2020, and Mars would join that as well. So I knew there was going to be a triple Mars Saturn Pluto. I remember saying this at the, the press conference thing. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, the country's going to get into this, you know, probably ultimately forgettable ordeal, but, um, you know, the country's going to be in some kind of trouble in early 2020 and Hillary's chart, uh, you know, having that Mars, Saturn, Pluto, I just thought she was the one who would, you know, have that big recurrence transit would, would be dealing with whatever happened in 2020, which as we know, turned out to be nothing, but, right. um, that was, that was ultimate, I mean, I think, you know, it, in part, I was, I was guilty of not following my own astrology because I knew 
you know, I, I'd written Uranus USA. I knew all very well that um, you know Donald Trump's chart was was very sort of uh, uh, sort of quintessentially American with with the Sun Uranus conjunction up at the the top of his chart there in an eclipse. And then I had done the work on Hillary, and I knew very well that the big changes in her life coincided with Mars retrograde transits, and there wasn't one happening. And yet, I still went ahead and picked her, partly I think because of just a bias. Uh, but partly because I was looking ahead to that Saturn-Pluto conjunction 2020, and I really thought she would be the one handling that. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't, 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 don't be too hard on yourself. I mean, that was, uh, that those, some of those observations are kind of independent of, of the birth time as well. Uh, you know, because I, I thought that was an interesting uh, yeah. point as well about well, uh, Mars I mean, and Pluto. It, as we've said, most people in the world got this wrong, but I just got it way more wrong than the rest of you because I actually had, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you guys just didn't have the information you needed. And so, you know, it's understandable. I had everything <laughs> and I still gave the wrong predictions. So. Yeah. Although, yeah, I mean, still, well, you know, looking, even looking back at those previous like uh, Mars uh, events, I noticed that like there was a recurrence of the nodes going through Pisces and Virgo. And that was present at the 2016 election as well. Uh, so that's another one of those kind of uh, signs that I guess, you know, especially because, especially in light of the fact that we've often remarked on the, the importance of those eclipse events for uh, candidates. Was, you know, she was in a Pisces perfection year uh, in twenty sixteen, right? Um, just before the election, she, on her birthday, she went from an Aquarius to a Pisces. Yeah, perfection and so year. there was like a Neptune South Node conjunction. Yeah, happening in yeah. Pisces in that in that particular yeah. weekend. Yeah, of the election. Something we got to talk about though, maybe we should have addressed earlier is like. Even though this theoretically should be solving the issue of having her birth certificate finally released, having a time written on it, um, of course, there's just like something surrounding this topic that will constantly make it unclear. And there's already like a debate over what the time is that's written on the birth certificate. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, Show so us that picture again. This is funny. So yeah. here's, here's the picture. So, no, I, the, here's I know the what issue. No, I do too, because I, yeah. I I noticed it myself as soon as I looked at it, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like, why? <laughs> why is this happening?" Um, so funny because so when I was me, listening me... back to a past podcast, the the one of the things I said, what I I said, watch us get the birth certificate finally, and there'll be a big smudge where the birth time is. Like <laughs> okay. I said that, and and then I saw the birth certificate the first, and I was like, "God damn it! <laughs> like it's right. some jinx." I I know, I know. Anyway, sorry for interrupting, Chris. Go ahead, show that up, show that to so, us again. Because we're we're proceeding, we've proceeded up to this point, and maybe we should have done this differently with the assumption that six forty-five is the recorded time, and this is settled thing. And we've been looking at the Gemini rising chart with eleven degrees of Gemini, which is what six forty-five p.m. Um, you know results in. But there's a bit of a discussion that's happening, a bit of a debate that's happening amongst astrologers right now, because when you look at the birth certificate um, where it says born alive at um, and then there's a numeral there, which is looks like a six, but one of the problems is on the line just below that where it says her the date signed, it writes a 10 for October, and that 10 looks suspiciously like the number that's on the line above that could be a, we're interpreting as a six, but basically it could also be interpreted as a 
a one and a small zero next to it because the doctor almost wrote the number for the birth time in a way that looks like the month, which is October. So basically, this could give a secondary birth time of 10.45 p.m. instead of 6.45 p.m. And in fact, um, Astro Data Bank now has updated their entry to note this potential discrepancy and how different astrologers are reading it differently. And now on the Astro Data Bank entry, the, they list two different charts as 6.45 p.m. or 10.45 p.m. Can you go back to the image? I just want to point one other thing out to that. Look at the top row, look at the six on October 26th, and it is a different looking six. I know, that's the problem. That was <laughs> different. And even there's another six at the bottom, at the very yeah. bottom, there's a oh 16, and that six looks different yeah. as well. The problem is that the, the six, the supposed six for the birth time, um, the one is like a straight line it's like a straight sloping line like a what's the yeah. thing on the on the keyboard um next to the question mark what's it what's it called again uh, 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 i have a shift a, button <laughs> like a it's like a slash <laughs> slash um, I, I i think of it as a slash i know there's another word for it but backslash okay. so it, it kind of looks like that it's like a tilted um l or like a one that it almost looks like there is how this is written and then there's a zero, so that there's a potential that it could be a ten. But the the counter argument, I was going over this with Lisa last night, and she was pointing out because she thinks it's a six. Um, below that, there's dots for the line for the entire line. There's pretty regular dots that are spaced apart. But the line is filled in, yeah. But the line is filled in, so there's no. So it's space. either a very lazy ten, or just kind of a sloppy six. Well, part, yeah. of the re part of the issue here is that you can see it in the other ones, like the one just below on the line is that the doctor is putting like a little foot on the one for some reason, and he's doing it consistently where he's doing a, 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 like a vertical, not vertical, but a slanted slash that starts in the top right and it goes down to the bottom left, but then he's putting a little foot on it just below, which is like either he's leaving the pen there or he's drawing a circle below it because he does that for the one next to date signed and he also does that for the one just below under the 16 where it's like a vertical slash but then it goes downwards for some reason yeah um and that's the problem is that there's a potential that that's also what's happening here with this six is it could be a one with a foot on it but the problem and the likelihood is that it's connecting the space that should be below there so much that it actually looks more like a six than it does a 10, because otherwise there should be some sort of space between the dots below the number. Yeah, I would go with six, but it I very go with clearly is a, it's very clearly a problem. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, so, that, so that means that this thing that's supposed to be settled, that was Patrick and I have been <laughs> waiting for for years, and that was going to solve all of our problems, ultimately is not as settled as we would like it. Because the other problem is that because she's said 8 p.m., you know, whatever she's basing that on and whether that's from what her mother told her, whether that's from her vague recollection of the birth certificate, who knows, her saying 8 p.m. is pretty much right in the middle between 6.45 p.m. <laughs> yeah. and 10.45 p.m. So 
you know, it could go either way in terms of it's that. It's a little closer to 6.45 p.m. I think it's, just, I yeah. think it's probably yeah. 6, but... Um, I think 6.45 yeah. is more yeah. likely from practical considerations in the sense of that the Chicago Sun-Times article, I believe, said that she, her mother went in the morning, in the morning, Early. Was, in, was in labor, and then gave birth like in the evening. 12, 12 hours later. Yeah. I, I think it would be less likely to characterize going to the hospital early if it was at 10 and then 12 hours later but i don't know how precise you know the journalist was being necessarily with that description so it's it's a bit of an open question but i i think it i think it's 6 45 yeah i so, think it's 6 but it's definitely a problem it's <laughs> definitely a problem that's you know it's not welcome yeah to astrology was- folks this is <laughs> you, know, you know what my sci-fi fantasy is is that we'll eventually somehow figure out how using DNA we can we can retrofit the the actual birth time from from DNA and we can even like take the DNA of dead people you know old presidents or rock stars whatever and find out what their proper charts were. I, That's I my like sci-fi that. fantasy. That's how I, I like go that. to sleep at night. I mean, my sci-fi fantasy would Brave be Robin. more. <laughs> I say sci-fi fantasy would be more that in the future humans develop time travel and that's what they actually use it for. And maybe that's that's what all like observations of like um, UFOs are. Is it's actually like humans from the future coming back to observe humanity and like collect birth times for when important things are happening. The Mercury Neptune applying conjunction is very loud right now in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, discussing this nebulous document and these uh, interesting theories. And this is a joke, by the way. I do not yeah, want to be no. quoted for this out of context. <laughs> yeah. You'll never live this down, Brennan. Right. Um, Nick so, Grave Robber Best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me show the chart, <laughs> chart though, because this is now going to be part of like leg- legitimate discussion. Is the rectification quest is not fully over, and now there is a ten forty-five p.m. time potentially based on the birth certificate, which would give Leo rising. So additional, really annoying complication of that from a, pr- a practical standpoint, remember Leo Rising actually came up at one point because supposedly the chiropractor was the one right. who said that Hillary herself told them that she had Leo Rising. We don't know if that's correct. We don't know what that was based on, if that actually happened or what, because we've unfortunately met other people who talked about scenarios that it later turned out were completely made up justifications for different rectifications and we it's don't just my personality <laughs> yeah, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> that yeah. um so here's the chart so the 1045 theoretical chart gives four degrees of leo rising it moves the mars pluto saturn conjunction to the first house first whole sign house the scorpio stellium moves to the fourth whole sign house with the sun venus mercury and the south node there jupiter's in the fifth the moon, interestingly, has departed from Pisces and has ingressed into Aries, where, depending on the time, it's either just barely perfected a trine with Jupiter by minutes, it's at 039 Aries and Jupiter is at 038 Sag, or because 1045 would be slightly rounded, it could have actually still been applying to a trine with Jupiter very closely um, with the moon in the ninth whole sign house. The degree of the midheavens at 19 Aries. In the ninth whole sign house, Uranus is at 25, Gemini in the 11th, Neptune is at 11, uh, Libra in the third, 
and a lot of fortune is in is in Pisces, and a lot of spirit is in Capricorn. Um, weird, annoying thing about the zodiac releasing periods is that it this chart still results in a loosing of the bond in 1992 when her and Bill got into the White House, which is a, a lovely comp, comp, uh, compilation or or not compilation uh, complication complication um, where some of the things that made the new Gemini rising time at 6:45 compelling uh, are slightly replicated in this chart, although not as impressively because it's not a peak period. Um, in 1992, in the same way that it is in the Gemini Rising chart, and it'd be a more malefic loosing uh, as well if, uh, with Leo Rising, because the loosing of the bond in 1992 would have happened to the malefics, correct? Um, oh no, no, I have that wrong. Let me see if I have it saved. Well, either way, like you said, it's not the peak period. So it's less impressive. Okay, so this is the new Leo rising chart. We released from Spirit, which is in Capricorn. Fortune is in Pisces. So she would start out in a 27-year Capricorn period from 47 to 74. Then she would go into a 30-year Aquarius period from 74 to 2003. And then, yeah, the loosing of the bond would be October of 91 to April of 93, and it would be jumping to Leo, which would be um, mixed. Yeah. It would be her most subjectively difficult sign um, with some positives because it's also squaring Venus, but primarily it's, yeah, it would be her most difficult sign mm -hmm. subjectively. Um, and then the peak period, though, weirdly, would be like when she moved into this Pisces period for 12 years from December of 2003 until October of 2015. And I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's impressive that the loosing of the bond is still 91 to 93. And then that was the point, as we've said, that she started getting a lot of hate and becoming the primary target of, of political things when she started working on healthcare reform. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think because, you know, Capricorn is 27, which is the same thing as adding the Scorpio and Sagittarius releasing that, you know, earlier when, when it was Scorpio. You still get 27 years, you wind up at June 6, 1974, mm -hmm. um, and then you get the loosing of the bond at that same time. You know what I mean? Because before it was, uh, am I making sense? Yeah, there's a lot of interrelationships yeah. it's, it's, and yeah. overlaps between It's, it's the way Scorpio and Sagittarius add up to 27 anyway, so if you're releasing from Scorpio, you, you get the same length of time if you're releasing from Capricorn, is my point. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think... And then I think the Gemini rising is a little bit more, I mean, it's interesting if she was Leo rising, but, um, you know, it's leaning towards looking at the birth certificate because that line is filled in at the bottom. It looks like a six to me more than it's probably a 10. Obviously that's going to be open interpretation. Some of the ZR periods also seem to lean more towards the Gemini rising at this point rather than Leo, but this all just came out, and so at this point, I think astrologers are now going to start really looking at these charts and comparing them and, and studying her chronology again and, and coming to their own conclusions. Yep. Mm -hmm. I know I will. Just yeah. when you thought you were done with her. 
Well, yeah. and already, you know, even just during the course of this, like we've noticed things as we've been going through, like Patrick, you noticed, pointed out some things with like the eclipses and things like that, um, that were relevant or, or that we just noticed during the process of doing this. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few other things like, you know, um, one of the things I thought was really interesting is obviously probably during the most famous and notorious period of, uh, the marriage between, uh, Hillary and Bill, um, Pluto would have been transiting through those early degrees in 1998 and 1999, the height of the, uh, mm. Lewinsky scandal and impeachment, um, which would have been transiting close to the degree of her descendant if she was born yeah. with the ascendant in, in earlier Gemini. Um, so, and, uh, you also see things like, uh, Uranus being around 15 degrees of Aquarius at the time that she was elected Senator of New York. Mm -hmm. Um, you see Neptune close to the degree of her midheaven when she began running for president in 2007. You know, these are all transits that are happening to the approximate, to the, uh, midheaven degree. Um, if she were, um, born at this time, around this time, 6.45 p.m. So some of those things have been quite, um, uh, you know, validating or, or edifying, um, you know, and understanding her chart in this new context of, of having this time. Yeah. Well, and, that, and I think that's the real thing at this point that this finally gives us some closure on is maybe the ability to look at her life um, you know, now that we understand most of the story and being able to look at it with, you know, what the true context of her life is in comparison with the chart and then truly understand that on a, on a better level. And, you know, in terms of just doing case studies of different astrologers or of different celebrities, as well as personal charts, it's like, that's what we do as astrologers is try to learn things from studying these notable nativities and just seeing what happens in people's lives. And then we're able to add to the the collective understanding of astrology through that. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Are there any other, can we try to draw any other like kind of collective conclusions from this entire, partially either from the debacle or from the um, process that we all went through in terms of this or, or different things like this in order to sort of wrap up or, or summarize things? All the evidence, not your preferences or biases, even if it seems overwhelmingly one way, follow the evidence. And I would also say, uh, avoid making predictions for things which you don't have the birth time for. It's easier and better and more honorable in some ways in the long term to just say, I don't have the information I need to make this prediction. I think there's a big pressure to like to to predict. But if you right. really don't have the information, I think it's okay to say, I decline, you know. And yeah. uh for sure. Those, those are, so those are some of the things that have really stuck with me is to, you know, uh, yeah, to stick with the evidence and to, um, to reserve the right to decline to predict. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, on my end, I would just say, you know, um, if my gut is trying to talk over the astrology, tell my gut to shut the hell up and <laughs> listen to the astrology. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And yeah, I think I would just echo Patrick's sentiments and and try to follow the evidence and try to do your best to not take it for granted that you have, you know, with with you when you're using a birth time, especially for a celebrity or something, really try to investigate that and figure out if you're working with solid data because 
If you don't, um, the entire foundation of your prediction, it may be built on a really unstable foundation, and that's both not going to be good for you personally in terms of your work with astrology and your ability to, to learn something and take something and make accurate predictions, but also you know, really isn't good for the community if we're not doing the legwork as much as we can to try to make sure that we're basing our predictions on solid data. And I think that's something as a community that we all need to work on more because um, you know, there have been great progress and great strides that have been made in the astrological community through the work of individual astrologers and data collectors like Lois Rodden, for example, who started Astro Data Bank and who created a new system for classifying different pieces of birth data. And, you know, that's taken us much further than where we were prior to like the 1960s and 70s when she started that work. Um, but we still need to keep um, moving forward and, and trying to strive to improve the um, whole approach to data collection and to um, citing our sources and to doing things in a lot more um, just reliable manner from that standpoint as a community. And there's a lot that happened, for example, with the 2016 election and just the debacle surrounding almost the circus surrounding the data collection stuff and using that for promotional efforts and other things like that, that I think we really need to reflect on and learn from um, so that we don't repeat those mistakes again in the future. I'd also say, don't be too hard on yourself. You know, if you, you know, if you make the wrong call, like, you know, astrology is really, really hard. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's important to learn things from, you know, when things go wrong. Uh, but, you know, you just, uh, you can't, you can't I, I, uh, hold yourself up to, this, you know, godly standard of divinity you know, with people. I, I disagree. I think you should be really hard on yourself and self-flagellate for eternity if you get these kinds of things wrong, and you can be sure that the three of us will. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's an interesting balance between that, on the one hand, needing to hold yourself accountable, which is actually important because sometimes we've we've seen the opposite of that. Like, you don't want to be that astrologer that's like constantly making predictions that don't work out and like never sits with that and reflects on it and, and uses that to figure out like why did that go wrong or what can I do better next time? Like it's really important to have that sort of internal process. Um, but then on, on the other hand, you also need to respect and understand the limitations of astrology and how it's this like massive thing and how many different charts are going into any one prediction and how complicated everything is. And how we're always just trying to do our best um, as humans with our limited perspectives and perceptions on things and our limited time uh, periods of the lifetime that we have to learn and attempt to master some small portion of this art and get as good as we possibly can at it in that time period. Um, but ultimately, we're all going to make mistakes along the way. And um, that's part of the process. And if you don't ever make any mistakes, then you probably. If you, if you never venture out- Then you're making a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like if you never venture out to put yourself in a position where you never you know, could try to um, say something that's falsifiable in a way that you're never really pushing yourself to grow and you're never really checking yourself as much as you potentially could, um, and you might be limiting your growth to some extent by doing that as well. Um, so there's a delicate balance between those two. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like I got a lot out of, um, you know, what happened. I, I, I feel like because of uh, everything that happened during 2016 with I- ESAR and, and the data, I feel like that's really, um, that's uh, really helped me make a lot of breakthroughs in different areas of, of my practice. And um, I feel like a lot of good things came out of that, even though it was uh, a stressful and, and, and at times existentially uh, painful time. It was my Saturn return, but you know I, that's that's why that's why I remember to say don't be too hard on yourself because uh, you know it's it's not worth it and and uh, you need to take what lessons you can learn from the songs, but you can't you know you can't self flagellate forever, right, Nick? Right, and in twenty 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 sixteen, my best shot. <laughs> twenty sixteen was your Saturn return in Sagittarius, Patrick, and um, and then you you went out and you you tried again, basically in twenty twenty you. You know, put yourself out there and, and tried making predictions again, and were successful in that election in predicting um, Biden. It was, it, and it was only because of the particular way that 2016 happened that I would have been able to take the approach that I did that allowed me to be able to make the prediction more confidently in 2020. So I realize that this is probably a, a function of the fact that my Saturn is ruled by Jupiter in the ninth. Um, that it kind of took uh, the it took being kind of falsified for me to realize a bigger, broader truth. And so maybe I'm lucky in that respect. Maybe everyone has that sort of potential with Saturn experiences. But um, yeah, it, it, I think that, uh, yeah, very much so that my success in 2020 um, was, was made possible uh, by, by what happened in 2016. So I'm yeah. grateful for that in the long run. Yeah, that makes sense. On to 2024. <laughs> yeah, so that's the big looming thing that's starting to heat up is it's now early 2023. People are already announcing their candidacies for the next presidential election and that's going to take place at the end of 2024 and astrologers are already looking forward to some major mundane events that for example that Nick and I talked about recently in the episode in November on um Uranus and the the Uranus returns in the birth chart of the United States and how we're building up to um, that, where Uranus is going to return back to Gemini, where it was in United States history um, back during the American Civil War, during the Civil War, and during World War II. So that's somewhat how we're going to have a recurrence or a repetition of that transit here between what, 2025 and like 2032 or 2033. Um, we've also got some major eclipses coming up that are going to cross um, America, I think, in 2025, right? Yeah. 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 It wasn't so, 2024? Maybe it is 2024. Though. I yeah, can't I remember. Actually, I thought it was 2025. I mean, there's. I checked my pocket be... ephemeris, but I am the pocket <laughs> ephemeris. <laughs> I asked my. You asked yourself. Um, so yeah, there's going to be other chances, and it's not even that every astrologer needs to like issue public predictions about presidential or other like political contests because I don't think that's either necessary nor is that even really a good idea because most like the other thing is like it really takes a lot to specialize in and to study all the biographies and chronologies to to investigate the different pieces of birth data and what we know and what we don't know. It's actually a really complicated thing to specialize in political astrology or in mundane astrology, and not every astrologer can necessarily do that. And if you don't take the time to do what's necessary to specialize in it, 
Um, you can sometimes do a, a sloppy job or you can have things not go well because you're not um, basing it on like a solid foundation. Um, but you know, so you don't have to necessarily issue predictions publicly, but sometimes even privately to like look at things yourself and try to decide like what you think might happen based on whatever techniques you use, and then check with yourself again, you know, after an event and see how that worked out can sometimes be a useful exercise. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Do you look it up, Nick? Oh no, I was going to, and then I I thought we were moving on. So then, is Watson looking it up? Uh, yeah. April 8th, 2024 okay. uh, is the date of the eclipse that crosses um, the United States. And I, it's quite interesting because if you compare those two recent eclipses that have gone across the United States, then it seems to like form an X over uh, somewhere in Texas. <laughs> I don't know if that's significant or not, um, but uh, it's interesting to look at for sure. Yeah. And the last one, the last great American eclipse, of course, was one of the ones like that happened i think like six months into trump's presidency um and that was a early was indicator back then yeah august of 2017 that was the day i came up with my venus synodic cycle red white blue black system mm-hmm. during okay. that eclipse yeah on my mercury yeah and we talked about some of that previously yeah. but we should we should go over it some more at some point yeah we will because there's well, going to be an important venus retrograde this summer there is, there is. I have a video out on my YouTube channel uh, that I made in December. That's a good introduction um, to the Venus cool. nautic cycle. So yeah, check out my YouTube channel, folks. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about Venus retrograde soon enough. Yeah, so that's actually you mentioned that. So you, as we've talked about, specialize in Venus and Mars retrograde periods. Um, synodic start- cycles, yeah. The, the, whole, yeah. the whole cycle, yeah. And you've started releasing some videos recently on your YouTube channel connected with that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've released the Venus one. I'm working hard on the Mars one and um, try and get it out as soon as I can. So it's youtube.com slash Nick Diggenbest, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that's my name. If you what, look up my name on YouTube, you'll find me. You'll find me. What's channel. your website URL? NickDiggenbestAstrologer.com. Cool. All right. Uh, Patrick, what about you? Uh, my website is PatrickWatsonAstrology.com. And, um, yeah, I obviously I'm open, open for, uh, consultations and, uh, rectifications and tutoring sessions and electionals and horaries, pretty much, uh, the gamut. Um, and I'm also available on Twitter. You can find, follow me at least for as long as it's still there, uh, <laughs> at, uh, at P Watson Astro and, uh, I'm working on currently. I'm working on actually getting my NCGR certification. So I've been doing a lot of uh, manual chart calculation in preparation Excellent. for my test. Uh, so that's been interesting, kind of going back and learning this skill that I was probably supposed to learn earlier on. But uh, that's been really, really interesting. And um, uh, I do eventually want to get back into regular blog and video creation. I do have my old videos, which are cringeworthy and hilarious. Um, on YouTube, uh, so I'm both. They are both those things. I'm willing to. Yeah, I I'm kind of uh, making my plan <laughs> to sort of get back into video at some point, but it's difficult Excellent. balancing the time commitments I need to to help clients and still find the time to work on video and blog projects and be a father to three kids, etc. So, um, but yeah, that's me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, 
Thanks, guys. This was great. Thanks for joining me to do this and to reflect on this and to bring some sense of closure to this entire saga. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Thank you, Chris. It's been great hanging out with both of you. Thanks. Yeah. And, same uh, here. I'll go back to self-flagellating now. <laughs> okay. Is that in quotes? Yeah. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can quote me on that. <laughs> All right. This is a, this is a family show. So okay. It. All right. All right. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening or watching. Thanks to all the patrons for your support. And we'll see you again next time. A special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, synastry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. I also recently published a new translation of the anthology of the 2nd century astrologer Vedius Valens, which is one of the most important sources for understanding the practice of ancient astrology. You can find that by searching for Vadius Valens the Anthology on Amazon or other online book retailers. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. I also recently launched a new course there called the Birth Time Rectification Course, where I teach students how to figure out your birth time using astrology 
when the birth time is either unknown or uncertain. You can find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Each year, the podcast releases a set of astrology calendar posters for the coming year, and we've just released our 2023 Planetary Alignments and Planetary Movements posters, which are now available on our website at theastrologypodcast.com store. There you can also pick up our 2023 Electional Astrology Report, where Lisa Scheim and I went through the next 12 months and we picked out the single most auspicious date for each month using the principles of electional astrology. You can get that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. Finally, thanks also to the Northwest Astrology Conference, which is happening May 25th through the 29th, 2023, just outside of Seattle. This year's conference is going to be a hybrid conference where you can either attend online or in person. Find out more information at norwac.net.